God, we thank you that you love us. You love our family. You love our friends. You love our community. You love this world. As we study your word, help us to better understand your love. Help us to recognize that each of us are made in your image. Help us to discern that image in those around us and to know your encouragement and leading in our lives together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love, struggle, passion. Am I talking about Harry Potter or is it the life of David now? The main purpose of the book of Samuel, however, seems to have been to record the establishment of kingship in Israel and to explain its theological significance. Samuel deals with Israel's initial request for a king, the establishment of that king, Saul, the tragic results of that king's reign, and then it explains the consolidation of power under a second king, David, God's promises to him and his decline in later years. The climax of the book, it seems to come in 2 Samuel 7, where God promises to David an everlasting dynasty. And the writer of Samuel clearly wanted to legitimize a Davidic monarchy and dynasty. Whether and how the monarchy should be established are the main subjects of 1 Samuel. And the question of who should be Israel's king dominates much of 2 Samuel. It is therefore not surprising that when we read the chapters after chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, that it seems like David has a meteoric rise from a forgotten shepherd boy to a mighty warrior, to the saviour of the nation. Do you remember last week? It was only last week that we had his anointing. And the picture there is one where Samuel goes to anoint. God's led him to this family. And in a ceremony, um, which is going on, Samuel's feeling, I haven't got a yes yet, Lord. What's going on here? What's going on? And he becomes a bit desperate. And he says to the father, is there nobody else here in your family? And the father thinks, the father thinks, oh, yes, I've got a younger son. He's just a child. Do you really want, yeah, bring him, bring him. And with that child arriving, that child David arriving, the Lord whispers, yes, this is the anointed one. And so in the chapters that follow that, if you look at 17, 18, and 19, you can see David becomes the king's musician, possibly physician as well, because the music helped soothe Saul's mind, we read, and his heart. And then we have that amazing story of David defeating Goliath. Fantastic stories. Difficult if you read them together. Sometimes the chronology of them. Because at the end of the story of Goliath, which comes after being a musician, um, Saul turns to Abner, his chief director, and says, Who is that young man? Which is a bit strange chronologically. And yet together, as people have looked to record the story of David, there are so many things, important things, that people want to get in there about the king, the greatest king of Israel, possibly the greatest king Israel ever had. Fabulous stories. And it's somehow 15 years, it's worth thinking about the chronology, 15 years is possibly the time 
after which David comes to the court before he becomes king himself. And so how does he sit with that time? How ambitious is David? How does David feel about this anointing he's been given by God? And yet Saul continues as king, and David continues to respect Saul as king. Interestingly, in the passages that we've got, in those chapters, David does not try and make God's will happen. In the circumstances of those chapters, God is the one that takes you the initiative. And maybe that's true for us. There's things that God's put on our hearts, passions that we've got, things that we feel is from God, and yet the circumstances or the time doesn't seem right just yet. Two men were hunting in northern Canada, and suddenly one shot upright because a grizzly bear was coming towards them. And the first one started frantically to put on his trainers. And the second one turned to him and said, What are you doing, mate? There's no way we can outrun a grizzly. The first one turned to the second man and said, Yes, but I can outrun you. (laughs) I acknowledge as a man that men often have a lot to learn in terms of relationships. But I'm greatly encouraged that we have in the Bible here a a story of excellence in male friendship. In friendship in general that we can learn from as blokes, as human beings about what it means to be a friend. The friendship we see in Jonathan and David is a high bar. It's in fraught circumstances. David has been, is in fear of his life. Jonathan is the king's son. The dynamics are complex and messy and yet the friendship therefore perhaps is all the more beautiful and powerful. Let's look at four of those elements as to what they teach us about friendship for us. If you look at the first four verses of chapter 18, actually, as we prepared for today, as I, I couldn't decide what chapters to read. Just interesting to read those first four verses, rather, of chapter 18 of, of 1 Samuel. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with the tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. As we think about friendship, one of the things the story brings to us, the first characteristic of good friendship involves sacrifice. Immediately there's mutual friendship struck up for one reason or another between David. David, Jonathan saw in David someone of integrity, someone of a passionate spirit and they became one in spirit. It's fascinating that giving of this cloak and of his sword to David, that was symbolically giving away his kingdom. It wasn't just being generous and giving the stuff. It was actually saying that yours be the kingdom. Already we arrive quite abruptly at that, again as we do in these chapters in Samuel. But Jonathan sees in David God's man, God's anointed one, and recognizes the potential of David. And remarkably says, it is for you. All this could be be mine. I think it's better with you. 
sacrificed to such a degree, remarkable. And here was somebody who in chapter 14 was a remarkable fighting man himself, the son of the king, the prince, who was going to inherit all of this. And yet Jonathan says, no, you have it. I see God in you. You take it. Remarkable sacrifice and friendship. The second characteristic of good friendship is loyalty, defense before others. We're told in 1 Samuel chapter 19 that Jonathan went to his father and spoke well to him of David. He stood up to Saul and said, Father, you're wrong about David. In fact, not only does he defend his friend, but he rebukes his father towards his attitude towards David. He says, don't sin against David. He hasn't done anything wrong to you. In fact, everything he's done has helped you. Don't you remember he risked his life fighting Goliath? And when he's won, you were happy. Why are you going to kill him now? What a friend. What a loyal friend. And so after this, we read that David is brought back to the palace by Saul for a period of time. A true friend. Someone who sticks up for you. Someone who defends when others attack. Or when life gets messy and rough. As it will for all of us. The third characteristic of excellent friendship is freedom to allow others to be fully themselves. Often we talk about this in terms of marriage and preparation, to encourage their person to be all they can be. Yeah, go off and do that. That's your skill and that's your personality. Great, I want to encourage you in that. Freedom to express yourself in different ways. And as we read 1 Samuel chapter 20, As we get to the end of that reading that we had, we see there are tears and there are kisses. Because this is the last time that David and Jonathan see each other. That's why this story is recorded. That's why there's there's an intimacy, there's a preciousness about this. Here's the last occasion between them, sadly. And so in this day and age, I have to say, I don't believe that there's a homosexual relationship. I can't see the evidence for that between... David and Jonathan. What I see is cultural appropriate behavior. What I see is a respect, a deep love for one another, a passion to be encouraging one another on in their calling and in their lives as men. Allowing the other to cry. Allowing the other to express where the difficulty with where they're at. Henri Nouwen writes, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions or, solutions or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a gentle and tender hand. The friend who can stay silent with us in a moment of despair, who can stay with us in an hour of bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness. There is a friend who cares. Good friends allow you to be yourself, encourage you to be yourself, whatever that means. The final characteristic of good friendship is encouragement. When the king's men discovered where David was and Saul went out to kill him, Jonathan went to David and encouraged him in God. 
Saul's after David. They're in the wilderness looking for him. And yet Jonathan makes time to go and find David, puts his own life in danger, and says, there will be a better day. Hold on to your faith. I am with you. How can I help you? I don't know about you, but that degree of friendship I find very challenging, very striking. How we long for intimacy in friendships. I know as a man how easy it is over the years to to be careless with friends and to lose them. Or they become just in that period at that time. It's not sometimes easy to work out which friends we keep and which friends we don't. But to allow friends to drift means that we can find ourselves with people that don't really know us and not really grounded And so such friendships like these of David and Jonathan, valued by Christian saints, are difficult, I think, in our age to realize with our mobility and with our technology, where we're encouraged into many encounters rather than face-to-face relationships. So practically, what does this talk of friendship mean for us? Why don't we ask God for a Jonathan? Why don't you pray and say, ah, it'd be fantastic to have somebody that I could share with. I think God hears these prayers. I think God wants us to live, share our lives together, meaningfully, intimately. Some of you might have someone like that already, a a partner, a, a husband, a wife. Secondly, when you find such a person, commit yourself to that relationship for life because true friendship, as you know, doesn't happen overnight. We've got to work at it. And we're told that David makes a covenant with David. Jonathan makes a covenant with David. More than just a contract. It's not just about using people or being entertained in friendship or titillated or stimulated. But good friends are friends in season and out of season who stay with us and work things out. And the final thing is to be a friend that is good for one another. To be good for one another. Will others say of you, it was good to have spent time with you? Proverbs 27 says, iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens the wits of another. Are you the kind of person that sharpens your friends? Last week we got some pretty shocking news of a 70-year-old who was known to us who had been having a series of affairs. Quite hard to get a head around. And the family were devastated by the news and his friends were, were shocked. I know some of his friends felt sad and maybe even guilty that they hadn't said anything before now. I have on my study wall at home, be bold with people. Love means asking bold questions because we love people. Don't just settle for pleasantries. Underneath that, I've written, Holy Spirit, transform me through others. The story of Jonathan is beautiful. It's great to have such intimacy there in the Bible, particularly between men expressed. Let us allow ourselves to be transformed in our relationships and in our friendships by one another. I want to 
to remind you about the story about Shrek, because I think the friendship that we see in there, particularly for blokes, is really relevant. I don't mean us blokes are all ogres, though most of us are, but but do you remember the bit, I want, it's not Shrek 2, 3 or 4, it's Shrek 1, and the bit they're on their way home, um, and between Donkey and Shrek, they're having a conversation as they camp out for the night, and Donkey asks Shrek what he's going to do when he returns home. Do you remember that bit? And Shrek confesses that on returning home to his swamp, he's going to build a ten-foot wall around his land. Donkey's surprised. He thought they had developed a friendship that would result in sharing their lives and possessions once the quest was over. You cut me deep, Shrek, Donkey confesses. You cut me real deep just now. You know what I think? This whole wall thing is just a way to keep somebody out. They argue and exchange verbal jabs. At last, Donkey asks, Who are you trying to keep out? Just tell me that, okay? What is Shrek bellow? Everyone. I think there's an awful lot of people in our world today running around with that attitude of Shrek who have isolated themselves from the rest of the world, possibly out of fear, and want to be build walls to protect myself. As Christians, we believe that we love one another. We live in community. We allow others on the inside of our lives, asking difficult questions, encouraging, being loyal, giving things up because of love. That's what Jesus did. And it was him that said, love one another. That's what he calls us to be. Jesus, the model of a human friend, who gave his life for his friends. He gave that degree of sacrifice. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if any of you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, but I call you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. Let's pray. God, as we come to church, there's times we feel we're looking in the mirror and we don't like what we see. You invite us to stay a little longer and to look again and to see the person that you see made in your image. Lord, we thank you for your transforming love that happens in friendships, in families. Lord, we open ourselves to be tran- being transformed by your Holy Spirit through our friendships. May we see you at work and hear you in the words of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.